I'm Dr. Ashley McClure, a primary care doctor and medical community climate organizer and mom. Welcome to my podcast, Courageous Medicine, where I interview fellow physicians to hear their personal stories of when they first faced the climate crisis, how they see the responsibilities of being a physician as a call to climate solutions advocacy, and what gifts engaging in climate activism has given their lives. Really excited to be here with you, and it'd be great if you can um, introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Uh, my name is Gora Besu. Um, I'm a primary care physician uh, and a health equity educator uh, and climate advocate. Um, so I think my roles now is I run a center called the Center for Health Equity Education and Advocacy. I'm the co-director of that, and I, um, I'm an instructor. I teach at Harvard Medical School, and I uh, practice at Cambridge Health Alliance. And so a lot of my work has kind of been at the intersection of um, health, health equity, and really, I think a real vehicle for me is um, understanding the ways in which um, systems that we've built, uh, social infrastructure that we've built, how it's really harming our patients. And so as a clinician, feel this like privilege uh, to have this insight of um, how um, our our patients' lives uh, are impacted by social inequity and have felt really motivated to kind of speak up uh, for systemic change. And, and that is really kind of the, the background and that brought me uh, into climate work. My background is also kind of in global health and human rights work. So I kind of bring that into this work as well. I love the lineup of primary care physician, health equity educator, climate advocate. That's a really <laughs> nice, a nice lineup. Where did all of these values that motivate you come from? Was there a moment in Gaurab's life where social justice issues became clear? Yeah, I, you know, I think I, I I certainly come into this conversation into my work with a lot of privilege, you know, and and um, had a you know wonderful childhood, a very nurturing, loving family. Um, and at the same time, I, I think a lot of, as I've gotten older and older and become a parent myself, I've realized a lot of my work really is connected with my, my personal identity and kind of my ancestors and kind of the immigrant story of my, my parents and, and um, my grandparents. And so, you know, my, my grandparents worked extremely hard and had a, you know, pretty decently tough life in India and, and really um, worked to take care of their family and, and struggled in a lot of ways to 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 survive. And uh, my parents came to the U.S. Um, and really fought to, 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 to make their lives here. And so that was always um, part of um, my, my growing up is understanding those stories. Um, and then as I, as I got older, you know, I was thinking about teaching when I was in college and spent a summer teaching kids in inner city Baltimore and really came face to face with injustice. And it just bothered me, you know, it really hurt me. Um, it felt like something I couldn't look away from. So I, I, I would say that, you know, working in the, uh, uh, doing the work of social justice has always been the central frame for me. And, and then medicine kind of came from there. Can you speak more to that experience teaching in Baltimore? Who did you see that affecting? Yeah, well, I, you know, the, I can really remember, I mean, truly, I think, this was a real turning point for me of, of coming into medicine. I remember uh, I, I just adored these children. You know, there was like 16, 17 year old, uh, 16 or 17 um, third graders. So they're about uh, nine years old. Um, and it was a, like a literacy, uh, you know, it was a reading um, summer school kind of program. And 
Um, and I, I just adored these kids. They were vibrant, wonderful, you know, just awesome kids, a lot of fun. Um, I wasn't a great teacher because I couldn't hold a classroom very well. <laughs> so, uh, but I was thinking about becoming a teacher. They they knew they could, uh, you know, kind of eat me alive. But, uh, uh, but um, one of my students um, was diabetic and uh, type one diabetic. And, you know, this was a time when I really knew very little medicine, but I was, um, I was the teacher who would check her sh sugar with her after lunch. And I remember the sugars were kind of high and it, it really bothered me, you know? And, and then, so I remember calling my own um, doctor back home and kind of asking and, you know, started tracking some of the numbers. And basically the short of it is, you know, that summer really taught me about a lot of the structural injustice that was all around me in that school, you know, in that classroom. And I, I was just, um, angry that, you know, these awesome, wonderful children would have to navigate their lives um, with all these structures and systems around them that, that were not built to have them thrive. And, uh, and so, so, you know, and I think taking care of that uh, one uh, child in particular and, and kind of being involved in, you know, this simple little exercise of checking our sugars really, I remember feeling very deeply that, you know, health is like tied to dignity and that, um, there's something about health and, you know, wanting this child to be healthy, it kind of activated me, uh, uh, you know, and really kind of focusing as health uh, as a frame and vehicle moving forward. And I had been basically contemplating whether to go, you know, pursue pre-med and stuff like that, that summer. And that really kind of did it for me. And then I, I went forward. Health and dignity being interrelated. I would guess that that part of why within medicine, the equity kind of, you know, we work in the center for health equity, right? Yeah. So do you feel now like you're getting at those structural determinants of her and, and other, you know, people's health? Yes. You know, it's like 20 years later, I think, you know, I've learned a lot and went to a lot more schooling and in a lot of ways, things feel like the same, you know, and it, it's the, the the struggle feels the same. And I think, you know, foundationally, it, it feels, you know, I, 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 um, I kind of at the core believe that, you know, everyone has worth and dignity and value. And, um, and there's this miraculous thing that human beings are just so uh, amazing, I think. Um, and, and still, we have not built structures around us to, um, to honor that dignity and worth and value. And so I think that is really the intersection that drives, you know, my motivation um, to say, what if we built systems that healed and that allowed people to thrive and be healthy and uh, allow people to fulfill their goals and dreams? Because I, I totally think we can do that. You know, there's nothing stopping us from do that. Uh, but we're living in really hard times that have shown us that a lot of what we've built is not worthy of us, you know, and particularly worthy of our children, I think. And so um, I, I just think we can do so much better, you know, and I think it's there for the taking. Uh, and, you know, I, I've got certain ways of trying to do it now as a doctor and stuff like that 20 years later. But in some ways, I think I'm grappling with the same issue I was back then. And you have children of your own now. And, you know, mm -hmm. we've kind of connected around the climate crisis and how that is a health equity you know, crisis for us today, but for our children. Similarly, was there a moment where kind of the gravity of the climate crisis became clear to you? Or what, what triggered you to care? 
Yeah, I, I will say readily that I think, uh, you know, I've told you a little bit about the things I care about. And, and I was not caring enough about climate change for much of my adult life and career. Um, and I, I just couldn't fully see it. I, I think I understood and I was thought it was important, but I didn't get activated around it. And then the UN report in 2018 was was my moment. Um, and I can really picture, you know, that awakening. And it really was like a moment of awakening and consciousness for me. And I can still remember, for some reason, you know, I, I, I read uh, the headline news and then read the report. And I had this just very intense reaction to it. And I think it was a, a fantastic report. And I really commend the scientists for the way they wrote it, because I do think that talking about when we could hit 1.5 degrees Celsius, what the difference between that and two degrees Celsius that we needed to decarbonize by mid-century and get halfway there and uh, by 2030. Those things helped really translate it for me. And then I, um, my wife was pregnant at that time. My son was, uh, you know, uh, just about one years old. So there was probably a lot of things going on in my mind, but I I just had this very intense reaction that all these things I care about as a parent, as a, a physician, um, I understood to what extent, you know, climate change really posed a threat to all the things I care about. Um, and it, it really set up a year of deep learning and, and really, you know, staying up late and reading and studying and trying to get my bearings about it. Cause it was, it was pretty hard and pretty disorienting for me. And, uh, you know, kind of a grieving process to, to kind of realize I had not been thinking enough about this and, and really needed to catch up. Yeah, the moment of your wife being pregnant and having a one-year-old, because it's not common that, that a report really wakes somebody <laughs> up, <laughs> I got I to say. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the maybe yeah. first time I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but I do think, you know, I, in my work now, I, I kind of get this thing that um, it can be hard to get your head around climate change, right? Because it's slowly, insidiously, causing injustice, you know, and, you know, us in the healthcare field, um, you see someone um, who's sick or struggling or suffering in some way, and our reaction is to care for them, right? And, and so there's so many issues around us that, that um, need our attention. In any given day, sometimes we can put aside this um, slow moving monster of, of climate change. Um, and so for me, it was, it was like my whole worldview uh, it, it just reinforced my worldview, you know, like it wasn't a new epiphany. It was an epiphany that this was a strain on all the things I cared about. Um, mm -hmm. And it really was, you know, I saw these like strains of injustice on my patients and, and people. Um, and then climate change just felt like this strain that was pushing um, on all those kind of unjust uh, fault lines, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, but you're right. I, I somehow it just really, I can, it was really a light bulb thing. I can still picture the morning reading, you know, the thing and then um, just kind of ferociously starting to read about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like how you put that, that climate is like this overwhelming strain on everything you care about already. And yeah. it's just this kind of umbrella threat. You said that moment led you to do a lot of learning who did you talk to? Like, how did you find solidarity in that? Yeah. Yeah, it was a mix, you know, and I, I do the, 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 you know, I appreciate you saying solidarity because I think um, I felt very like, where do I go from here? And then, so I really did start reaching out to people and, you know, a lot of it was uh, nonprofit groups and I, 
you know, um, we sat down here with one of my city councilors who's works on climate change issues and uh, went to try to find, you know, people in healthcare who have been working on this. Uh, signed up for a lot of listservs. Uh, and then, but, you know, so, so I went around in a lot of directions and did, you know, really after some time realize that my value was in being a doctor, you know, and I, I it kind of, you know, there was moments where I was like, well, should I drop everything and really kind of be focusing on this? And then really did come to the realization that um, showing up in this work as who I am already, you know, and, and like kind of presenting the things I care about and my work in human rights and, uh, you know, global health and all that has really uh, influenced, you know, the things I feel like I want to talk about climate change, but that was helpful for me to realize I didn't need to change who I was, you know, and, and, but actually just incorporate climate change into all the things that I was doing, you know, so I started teaching about it in the courses I was teaching. Um, one thing that was really helpful for me um, is my wife and I started inviting people over uh, every couple of months to our basement and then we would have these climate community gatherings. Um, so we'd have like 25, 30 people kind of sitting around in a circle. We'd have a guest speaker and then we'd, we'd talk about various issues. So uh, that was really, in terms of solidarity, really um, helpful for me to kind of process all this with people. Wow, that sounds really cool. Um that you kind of were fostering discussion um, yeah. and, and, and community around it. Yeah, because it can feel very lonely sometimes if you don't have people who are equally concerned. If, people, if you're only surrounded by people who kind of look like they're not worried, um, they're not talking about it, it can be really um, isolating. Yeah, and I, you know, I just, I felt really scared. You know, I was really overwhelmed. I mean, there's something about thinking on a planetary scale, you know, thinking about you know, how long this has been uh, an issue, how, how long we've spent, you know, creating this problem, um, you feel very small, you know, and, uh, and you feel like the problem is so big and that it's so integrated in every facet of, of human life and human society. Um, so it took me a while to, you know, I was a little paralyzed at the beginning, um, but, but, you know, I think a couple of years later now, um, I'm in a little bit of a different headspace about it and I feel more, Kind of determined, uh, less overwhelmed, um, and you know, have just processed it in a lot of ways with a lot of people. I think. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to go back to the part where you said that you, at some point in this kind of year-long process, especially, you realized that your value in the climate movement is really in being a doctor. What do you mean? Yeah. H how? I mean, I, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about health is that I, I think, again, I come back to like feeling that taking care of people's health is about honoring their dignity. Um, and that still kind of stands. And, and it was um, that sentiment that really, I said, you know, in the context of the climate change, I want to make that argument. You know, I want to make the argument that we have to end the burning of fossil fuels because we got to take care of each other um, and that our health is, um, yeah, I, I think climate change is the biggest public health threat we've ever faced. Uh, and I think um, that people want people to be healthy, you know, and people want certainly themselves and their loved ones to be healthy. And so again, you know, I think this kind of realization that health is such a vehicle, uh, has been a vehicle for in my life, in my work of kind of translating values, you know, and um, saying, hey, I want people to be healthy because that's a way of kind of really honoring uh, their, their value and worth. Um, 
And so I, the, the, the extra piece here was translating, making the connection that, you know, how we take care of our health or how we take care of our planet directly impacts how we take care of our health. And that's, that's hard, right? That connection can be hard. And so, you know, in that studying, we realized very quickly, you know, all these different ways planetary health and human health were interconnected. Um, and that I think we've under, you know, done the work of making that connection in medicine. Uh, and, you know, and quickly realized that like, you know, healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses are among the most trusted voices in climate change, um, that people really respond to the message of improving health and saving lives. Uh, it makes it very tangible. And I think that's important as we're trying to make change to make it real to people, to make people realize it's happening now and it's happening to their loved ones. It's impacting all of us. Uh, and yeah. and of course, kind of, you know, disproportionately impacting communities of color and, and under-resourced communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the values that you bring to medicine, which I um, think a lot of people appreciate about medicine and, and being a doctor is honoring dignity and the value of each person. Are there any physicians today or in the past who have embodied those values? And especially it would be interesting to hear about any social justice issue, but it, also if there's anybody who you look to as a mentor for how to be a doctor in the climate crisis. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Jack Geiger just passed away and, you know, such a legendary person of, of really understanding these kind of social determinants of health and, you know, have certain, has certainly influenced, um, you know, my work a lot. I look at people like uh, Joya Mukherjee and Partners in Health and, um, you know, so many of my colleagues now, so many of our colleagues are, are doing this important work in racial justice work right now. And I think, um, you know, in, in my mind, climate change is fundamentally an issue of racial justice. They're, in my mind, they're, they're just made of the same thing, you know? And at the foundation, again, each one of these kind of system, like creating a, a system that harms our planet, a system that harms people of color um, is built in the same way, you know, and, and can be un, um, undone and eradicated and dismantled in the same way that we could say, hey, you know, that's unacceptable, that we need to care for our planet, we need to care for one another. Um, so I guess I would say, you know, there's just numerous people right now, I think, in this reckoning of racial justice and medicine um, that are doing that work and, and I get a lot of inspiration from them. And, you know, I think that similarly feels overwhelming and so historical and so embedded in every piece of our work. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, in this kind of equity space, I, you know, one of my interests is to really make sure that um, we explain climate change as an issue of racial justice and, talk about these communities that we don't talk in, uh, enough about in the United States and, uh, you know, across the world and how Bangladesh is just getting inundated with flood after flood and, you know, children are running away from these natural disasters and young kids in uh, places like Chelsea, which is uh, a predominantly Latinx community um, north of Boston, you know, their kids are having to go in to the hospital with repeated asthma impacts because the fossil fuel infrastructure there is all built there and not in Cambridge, where I live, you know, and so we, we've got to, we've got to embrace, I think, the bigness of this and, uh, you know, maybe get overwhelmed sometimes, but also not look away from it. Um, because I think it's a time for bigness. And I think COVID has just reinforced that, that we are not going to do well unless we connect these dots and wrap our arms around these big problems that face us and um, have some courage and look at it, 
in the eye. You started to get at that, but I think it's helpful to really have concrete examples of how racial justice is climate justice. So you spoke about basically frontline communities in Chelsea, where it's people of color, kind of people with less power, privilege, you know, resources who live beside fossil fuel infrastructure. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess the first way I think about it, again, is that communities of color have, uh, you know, we've created these structures and fault lines where um, all these um, racialized inequities are occurring, right? And it's because we haven't, you know, invested in the right values and the right systems uh, to ensure that, uh, you know, um, our economic systems are fair, our housing systems are fair, that people have access to, to food and healthcare and all that. So, so that has been, you know, again, a lot of what I've thought about over time. And then climate change just kind of adds the strain to all those existing fault lines. You know, those fault lines have been created and are complex and historical. Uh, and then climate change just reinforces that. And I think is a potent thing, uh, you know, potent strain on all of those. Um, but, but I, you know, it, 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 I, I think there's two major ways I think about it is one that we have been, okay um, putting dirty, unhealthy infrastructure in, uh, in these communities, whereas we wouldn't be okay putting them in wealthy and white communities. Uh, and that's a huge problem and that's injustice. Um, and then also that the develop, you know, my global health background really, um, you know, animates me to say, you know, the developing world uh, and, you know, the United States dramatically more than other countries have very disproportionately caused these emissions. You know, if you look since the Industrial Revolution, how much more greenhouse gas emissions we've put in, you know, carbon dioxide stays in our atmosphere for hundreds of years. So we have warmed the planet. And if you look at the developing countries like Bangladesh, um, that is on the coastlines and uh, is being impacted. There's, there's this great kind of map that um, Jonathan Patz has in a study he did that shows who has caused the emissions and who is being impacted by climate change. And that's, that's dramatically disproportionate, you know? And I think a lot about, you know, people in, um, in Sub-Saharan Africa who, is, who are exposed to drought and, you know, can't grow their food in the same way uh, because of unprecedented uh, droughts. I think about, you know, how it impacts political conflict and forced migration. And those folks were not, emitting the greenhouse gas emissions, you know, and um, they're being impacted. And what does it feel like to say, hey, please, people across the world, on the other side of the earth, please stop doing that because I, it impacts my food and water access, you know? And uh, that again, kind of comes to this point of dignity, I think, and uh, that it just bothers me so much. And we, we can let that stay invisible in a way that I think we can't uh, allow to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the challenge is, I mean, we're talking about invisible gases over decades. It's like the, <laughs> such a hard challenge to um, make tangible for our, you know, minds that evolved for like threats we could see over minutes and seconds. It's, you yeah. know, 
Very, well, nice. and that's why, you know, I think a lot of our conversations have been about stories, right, and storytelling. And that that really, um, you know, I love uh, the intellectual work of medicine and being analytical and, you know, my patients need me to really process data, uh, hard data well, right? And that's an important part of our job. But something we've underdone in medicine is value the importance of storytelling, you know, because change happens when we have an emotional reaction to things and when we feel connected to people, when we feel bothered and upset by things, when we feel things are wrong and could be better, that's when we act, right? That's when we realize what we care about and that's when we decide to do something about it. And so, um, you know, I think that's what I've been drawn to of, of, of public narrative work and, and community organizing work is, you know, using storytelling to build power and to kind of um, galvanize people to, to make change. Really glad you brought that up. What does it mean to use storytelling to build power? Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, I've been influenced a lot by Marshall Ganz's work, who's a Harvard Kennedy School professor and a lifelong organizer who started his work during the civil rights uh, movement and um, has really done a great job, I think, of creating pedagogy and kind of uh, structure to uh, an organizing approach. So um, so I, I've studied with him and then got to work with him a bit, but I think he has really um, been a profound, uh, you know, role model and influence on, on my work. Um, so the way I would start by describing it is that we've got to like identify and declare our values, what we care about, you know, what are those core things that drive us? Um, and then we've, we've got to learn how to kind of tell stories that explain those values. And so he has a structure of public narrative uh, in which um, it's organized about by uh, telling a story of self, a story of us, and the story of now. And so I'll say it briefly, I could say a lot about this, but but story of self is, is really declaring why you show up, why you wanna lead, what you care about. By the end of telling that story, people should kind of understand why you care about what you care about and a little bit of like your background you know your your like childhood your background in a way in which they can kind of understand how you came to care about those things story of us is really tying that to greater stories of our humanity and in a community of like you know we could be very different but we might actually care about really similar things we might have different uh, you know, personal stories, but actually, wow, our values are really synced and uh, we might actually care about similar things. Uh, and then story of now is making, um, making clear the urgency of what, what you're trying to make change on, you know? And so, um, you know, in climate change, you know, that people can care about a lot of different things, right? And that climate change is a threat to so many of those things. So I tell a lot of my friends who are in immigration work, uh, obviously in medicine, you know, in food security, you know, these kind of things, you know, wow, actually the climate change in a, a very like tragic way can bring us together because it's a threat to all these things. So, so the story of now creates an urgency and kind of a pathway in which we can make change, uh, but mm -hmm. to, to kind of make people feel like um, they've got to join the fight. And then maybe I'll just say briefly, you know, that, that is a tactic, that is a, um, that's an approach to building community. You could kind of picture if you do that well, you bring people together, you feel connectedness, you can create kind of leadership structures through that, and then you can build power. You know, I think, you know, it's people power. It's, it's really bringing people together and creating power where you thought it didn't exist. Uh, and there's these big entities that feel daunting, like, you know, fossil fuel industry and stuff like that. And they're so well 
finance and things like that, you can feel again, very small. Uh, but suddenly you look at like uh, the youth movements that are happening right now, and they've built so much power through community organizing. Um, and, you know, there are these young people who, you know, are sacrificing time in school and things like that and have tremendous power now because they realize um, that their values were powerful, their connectedness was powerful and their storytelling was powerful. And um, I think they've made a profound change in, in the, the discourse on this. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love hearing you lay it out because it's, it's really inspiring to me for sure. So how do you see what the youth climate strikes and efforts have done happening in medicine? Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, uh, I think the, the message of intergenerational justice is, is so potent, right? And that's, that's the message of the youth movement and, and certainly, you know, resonates with me as a, as a parent a lot. Um, in medicine, I think we have to, like, why are we all in medicine? Because we wanna take care of our patients. And it could be that people have very different professional backgrounds in medicine. They have very different interests and stuff like that. But um, you know, in medicine, my, my, my simple basic message is, hey, we're all here because we care about taking care of patients and we want people to be healthy. And we've worked really hard to do that. And isn't it so wrong that you're working to try to take care of your patient and there's these broader uh, threats to their health? And so um, it may not be that you have to become a climate activists. And, and uh, you know, I think for people like you and me, it really did um, make us want to change a lot of what we do. And, and we've invested time into doing it. And uh, obviously, I, I'd love if that happens. And I think that's great. Um, but even if you don't have space for that, or you don't think you could do that, um, we've got to integrate like a climate lens into all the stuff we do. And whether you say, okay, I'm going to be educating my patients more, I'm going to speak up more about this. When I'm reading studies, seeing, you know, changes in infectious disease patterns, um, when we're talking about COVID right now, you know, um, ending COVID and mitigating future threats is not just vaccines, it's stopping deforestation, it's rewriting our relationship with nature. You know, I'm really worried about that. And so, um, you know, I think we've seen really a great side of medicine and, you know, heroic work by so many healthcare professionals in the midst of COVID um, and an ability to kind of embrace the bigness of, of this, the threat of this pandemic. And that's taught me that I think we can do that with climate change also. Um, but, um, but, but I think we've got work to do. So you, you sort of touched on this, but if you had a medical, a resident or a medical student or a colleague who yesterday said, Galrab, I'm really terrified about what climate change means for my child. What would you recommend they do as like how to how to get started and find that community? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, finding some community is really important, you know, and, and holding it with um, people is important. And I think this kind of emotional piece you're describing is is really and obviously that's going to be different how people process that. Um, you know, different people will need different things. I do think that's critical, you know, to kind of name the emotions and have that be a part of the processing. Um, as you're trying to get involved and not to rush that, you know, I, I think in medicine, we, we get into like, I want to fix it, I want to fix it, uh, but we shouldn't rush past our, our kind of reactions. And so sometimes maybe the first step is not like finding a way to like do productive work, but to sit with the emotions of that. And, and um, that can really kind of navigate us, I think, to learning better, you know, what role we can play. 
Um, but there's just so many kind of student groups, you know, there's student groups now. Uh, one group that's been so great is, uh, you know, medical students for a sustainable future. You know, residents are getting more and more involved in this. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to really integrate it into every course I'm involved with in teaching. I think, you know, medical schools have a real responsibility to integrate it into their curriculum. And so, um, so, so, you know, I, I'd want to, you know, and I think you need someone who's going to be there to support you. So I, I, you know, I think someone who's, you know, maybe been thinking about this for a little while, you know, kind of being even a mentor a bit, I think is such a valuable thing so that they, you know, you can kind of create a relationship around it and say, all right, you know, where are you at right now? Like, do you want to just talk and, and maybe just process things or do you want to work on a project? You know, does that feel like a, a healthy kind of outlet to, to speak to these things? But, you know, I, I think understanding what you're ready to kind of uh, do, you know, whether it's on a big scale or small scale, uh, and then there's just so many opportunities. And I think it's going to be such a big year for climate action this year. Um, I think it's going to be all around us. And, and there's, you know, we need everyone all hands on deck. So there's going to be a lot to do. So we certainly can find you know, things for people to participate in. Yeah, those are great recommendations. I'll include those in our in our show notes. Um, and we do need all hands on deck. So there's something for everybody to to bring to the table. Wonderful. Well, and you know, well, you're you're a great example though, Ashley. You know, like you you know, I, I you know know your story of like you know, I, I know you you had this you know awakening too, and you started a group. You know, and and maybe everyone can't start a group. Um, but there's a lot of groups out there now, you know, and, and uh, you know, so I, I just I do think being a part of something is really helpful. And, and so I think your group has done a great job of building community and is a real example of how we can like do this together, you know, and, and so I, I really, I really think it's important you made the point of not feeling isolated and being a part of something is, is I think, critical to it. Yeah, connection is heart medicine for sure. And that group is called Climate Health Now for anybody who doesn't know that. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, it's a pleasure. It's always great to to learn more about you and and kind of how you're integrating this is as a physician in leading. Um, So thank you for your time and we um, will share this out. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. This week, I challenge you to think about what Dr. Gora Basu said. I didn't change who I was, but incorporate climate change in all the things that I was doing. What does that mean for you? Additionally, check out the episode description for more information and fun links. Until next week, this is Angela Geronimo. Stay courageous and share these podcasts with your friends and colleagues.